Hello and welcome to another episode of Planning People, the anime podcast. This week we are discussing and digesting the FCA's long-awaited final platform market study paper, which was published recently. It feels like a while away, but uh, it was very recent. Uh, this episode will be a must for platform fans and IFAs everywhere, so I'm pleased to say that our guest this week is 7am Head of Intermediary, Verona Kenny, who recently took part in a roundtable about platforms here at CityWire and has kindly volunteered her time again to talk to us. Um, that roundtable was hosted by my good friend and colleague Jack Gilbert, who also joins us. Hello to you both, how are you? Good, thanks Ollie, how are you? Yeah, good, good. Jack? Excellent, thanks Ollie. Um, now, having two guests is great because it means I have two victims for my weekly quiz rather than one, um, which this week will be all about different types of platform. Uh, yes, from oil rigs to the no platform debate, <laughs> here are five questions you'll never forget. Question one, in which country is the world's longest train station platform? Australia. A good answer, but incorrect. I'm going to say India. That's correct. Oh. <laughs> Jack, how did you get that? Uh, it's the Gorakhpur Junction, Junction in India, and it's 1,355.40 metres long. That's over a kilometre. Amazing. Uh, wow. Question two. In the best-selling book Harry Potter and the insert flowery and descriptive but also menacingly weird noun of a location here, uh, Harry and his chums travel to Hogwarts from platform nine and three quarters. But at which London station is the fictional platform supposedly located? Is it uh, St Pancras? It's not. King's no, Cross. King's Cross, King's Cross, oh, King's Cross. Well, they're, they're kind of together. They're, they're together. Connected. They're together. I was they're together. looking for specific um, It's got to be worth a half point, yeah, surely. Yes, Maybe yeah. A, okay, half point. Fine. <laughs> fine, fine, fine. Question three. Oil rigs, or oil platforms as they're known, are used to drill for oil offshore. How many million barrels are extracted per year via offshore drilling in the United States? Okay. I'll give you a clue. It's in the hundreds. It's huge. How many million barrels? 700 million. 840 million. It's actually 565 <laughs> million barrels. And earlier today, the price of Brent crude was $68 per barrel, pretty much. Interesting. So we should have learned something there. <laughs> Question four. Which of the following notable people have been subject to no platforming campaigns prior to speeches at the Oxford Union? One, Johnny Depp. Two, Nick Griffin, former leader of the BNP. Uh, three, Julian Assange. Tick tock, tick tock, tick I think, tock. I think this is a trick question. I think the answer is Johnny Depp. No, 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 wait, hang on. Because Johnny Depp got into the furore about the, yeah. the dog yes. in Australia. He did, yes. Well, that wouldn't yeah. be a reason to no platform him. He did beat up his wife, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> allegedly. Allegedly, yes. she strongly denies. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so I'm going to say Nick Griffin from my perspective. Uh, I'd say Johnny Depp. I'm going to go Johnny Depp. So Jack is absolutely on the right lines. Oh. Uh, it's actually the final two. Nick Griffin and Julian oh. Assange have both so faced so no platforming twice. campaigns uh, from students at the university. Depp appeared at the union in 2012, uh, but that was long before recent control yes. oh. controversies okay. involving his private life, which he obviously strongly denies. <laughs> um, question five. And this is the final question. Trafalgar Square has a fourth plinth. It's a stone platform next to the National Galleries and indeed Nelson's Column. The platform is a staging post for artwork of all kinds that has come and gone over the years. But what year was David Shrigley's massive thumb put on the plinth as a protest to Brexit Britain? This is a huge sort of uh, bronzy thumb that had like an elongated uh, nail. I'm going to say 2017. 2016. 
Britain, correct. Oh, finally got one. <laughs> Their thumb was designed to poke fun, poke at modern Britain, and was likened to some to the shape of something a bit ruder than just the thumb itself. Perhaps we'll leave that there. Um, you've both done very well, Jack. I think you've just about inched ahead. So you've, you've won that. Um, it's not surprising. What, what does Jack only. win? Uh, Jack wins our enduring respect <laughs> and love. Which, you're which I didn't, uh, yeah, yes, which obviously yeah. I've... <laughs> um, we are, of course, here to talk about the FCA's platform market study. So just to start things off, Jack, seeing as you are the winner, I would like you to summarise for our listeners at home exactly what your feeling was in the aftermath of this. Were you underwhelmed, overwhelmed, somewhere in between? Uh, I, was, I was probably a bit underwhelmed um, as in, in terms of my journalistic desire to have huge news and exciting events which um, have a big effect on the markets which we cover because I think the the, the final paper was it, they didn't really uh, release anything new what they did say was kind of what the, or they'd already said previously that what the FCA are looking at with exit fees I mean they're going to consult on that and that's subject to much lobbying and it's not really clear although they're going to expand the ban on exit or they seem to suggest they're going to expand the ban on exit fees to other firms, not just platforms, but it, by the sounds of the FCA's tone, it sounds like this could be, you know, years from actually coming into effect. Mm, okay. um, and in terms of the advisors, I mean, it, for, for a lot of what the FCA were doing here, particularly in the interim in the final paper, was around D2C platforms. This is around retail uh, DIY investors making it easier for them to switch and compare platforms and um, <coughs> and, and kind of looking, looking out for the retail D2C guys. The advised platform was largely, it wasn't really covered by the FCA in a huge amount of depth. They didn't really raise any big concerns here. Um, so it was a little bit of a, although there was interesting things in it, which I'm sure we'll get into later in the podcast, but in terms of um, my, my reaction was this was certainly about, probably about a four out of 10, I'd say. Mm. And maybe so the asset management study was maybe like an eight or nine out of 10 in terms of its, its bigness. Verona, how about you? Any surprises, disappointments? Well, firstly, I was relieved. I was relieved on a couple of fronts um, that the FCA had focused on actually what does the platform mean for the end customer rather than for the industry. Everything that's in there is actually really saying to those of us that run platforms, you know, make it as easy as possible for the customer to understand what you're charging them and also to switch and move the assets if they want. I was also relieved that there was no other surprises in there. It was well signposted before what the FCA was focused on and they, they kept to the brief, which was fantastic. Mm, okay. Um, question for 7IM, really. I mean, did you guys respond to the consultation phase? Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. And we loved it. So um, to put that into perspective, the written document had 84 questions. Okay. Yep. And then on top of that, there was appendices um, A to W, which was literally thousands and thousands of lines of information. They were all in Excel. And then we did respond after the, um, the interim study came out. So, you know, they did their homework, the FCA. Okay. And to be fair to them, on top of that, they also actually went and spoke to end customers. Okay. Uh, for listeners at home, I'm pulling my overwhelmed face <laughs> at hearing that. Um, what were the specific, uh, what were the sort of firmest points that you wanted to get across in that process? You know, was there anything that you were very, very clear had to be 
an outcome? Yes, yeah, so when we come to the um, responding onto the interim paper, the things that we were very clear about is um, there was a whole section on the non-monetary benefits and there were some certain examples that were um, highlighted in there. So we were very clear about you know, how we saw them and you know not classed as a, as a non-monetary benefit. The other thing that we also responded about there was, and I think Jack, you've just touched on that, D2C versus advisory platforms and basically the different roles both are playing. Mm, okay. Um, let's talk about uh, re-registering to a, a new provider. That's a sort of central part of this. Yeah, this is something the FCA did bring. Jack, talk yeah. to me about that a second. This follows on from all the focus that we've had on things like open banking and making sure that consumers... Yeah, so switch, I think with this, the FCA, as I said before, they're, 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 their focus is clear. They want to make platform switching easier for the end customer and for advisors and their clients as well. Um, so what they um, uh, did was they, um, Rona's probably going to interject here, but they, they're going to consult on um, in-species transfers. Yes. So to ensure that um, platforms, um, if there's not an um, equivalent share class in different platforms for the fund the investor is in, that they will require the platform to allow for an in-species transfer into an equivalent fund. And this is particularly important for um, super clean share classes, mm -hmm. which um, is where the platform negotiates a discount um, from the fund manager. So the FCA were kind of saying these super clean share classes were a barrier to switching? Oh, absolutely. You know, I think that there's two points to pick up on that. Mm. Firstly, it, you know, it is the right thing to be focused on. You know, in this day and age with technology, you know, I can switch my bank account pretty easily. Yeah. You know, and why shouldn't I be able to switch where my where my assets are held? The unintended consequence that we had with the cash rebate ban actually saw the proliferation of share classes. Yeah. So for me, what the FCA is doing is really saying, right, okay, we had an unintended consequence, which actually has made that switching process harder. Guys, we need to actually make the switching process easier. So basically go sort it out. And do you, do you think what the FCA proposed is going to mean that's going to happen? Well, to be fair, the, the FCA is really saying to platforms and other custodians, sign up to STAR, work together and come up with a solution, otherwise we will. So the FCA actually hasn't come, up, come in and said, you must do this. Mm -hmm. What they're really saying is get together as an industry. They highlighted that a lot of good work's already been done for everybody that's been working you know, with TRIG and, and the other initiatives. And they're really saying, really, now just you know, get that to a final conclusion as quickly as you can, please. And where do exit fees come into this? Because that's sort of part of the same picture, people paying exit fees on, on platforms. Yeah, to me, it's not just about exit fees. It's about the whole pricing model that, or the commercial model that a particular platform has. We don't charge exit fees, so for us, strictly speaking, that you know, we don't have really a response on that. But other platforms that do charge an exit fee, they'll be saying, well, we don't have this fee or that fee or, or something else. Mm -hmm. So for those firms that do charge it, they're probably going to have to look at their pricing models in the round. Yeah. So what the FCA said in, in the consultation paper, which was a little bit ambiguous, <coughs> was that they... Um, <laughs> that they are going to, because the, the issue is here that some firms have exit fees, but they don't call them exit fees. They call yes. them a product fee or an advice fee or something like that. Um, and, and the FCA, were, there was a, kind of a few contradictory things in there because on the one hand, they were saying um, they're only going to look at exit fees. They're not going to look at product fees. Um, however, within the definition of what they class as an exit fee, they say that any fee that might not be called an exit fee, but in actual fact is an exit fee. So anything that's being 
a product fee, which is an exit fee, which is masquerading as a product fee, then the FCA will take or look to maybe possibly ban that fee. So basically, they're going to consult on this and find out if there's firms who are classing um, product or advice fees, um, uh, uh, classing exit fees as product or advice fees, and then potentially take action. So that's a really good point. I think that's the most interesting thing to watch because there are firms wouldn't want to name any, that um, <laughs> do have a range of exit fees on, on different products and, and things like that. So it'll be interesting to see where that ends up. Yeah, but I think my sense of it was it does seem like it is still a while from actually going somewhere because... Uh, yeah, again, they're doing the right thing. They're consulting on it yeah. and you know, basically saying... Because you know, remember, it was, it was the competition area of the FCA that did this and they're really saying, you guys go and sort it out, otherwise we will. It's yeah. a sort of primary school head teacher's approach to you know, sort it out amongst yourselves yes. whilst you're all in detention. Yeah. I mean, I'm interested, Verona, in your opinion on it because obviously the asset management, you know, so I'm asset, a fund manager and a, mm-hmm. and a platform. Yeah. Um, and, and obviously the asset management study, the, this was done by a similar department within the FCA, the, the competition yes. um, part, and they obviously found a market which they did not think was functioning correctly and were very critical of and, mm-hmm. and initiated a number of remedies. But um, the platform side that that hasn't really happened the fca basically concluded that the the market is is functioning well i think the fca gave the platform market probably an eight out of ten which is great in terms of of how the platform market is functioning so you know they they did the right thing because platforms are how people invest platforms have changed the distribution landscape the fca should be looking at platforms they've done a very thorough job of that and they've come back and yes there are some things that we need to do but on the whole, they probably gave us an 8 out of 10 for how we're functioning. On um, the asset manager side, the mark probably wasn't as high. <laughs> um, but again, the FCA has um, come back and there's a whole lot of things that um, the asset managers, and we are one of them, need to have in place by August and September and then um, early next year, mm. as they have laid out. And do you think these are going to have these, are, these bigger um, requirements than the, the ones we've seen on platforms? In terms I, of think they, I think they're actually a lot more work for, for the asset manager. Um, a lot of it is work that is kind of have to be done by the compliance and legal team. So if you're in that, that, that that's okay. Um, because a lot of it is coming back to the benchmarks, the value for money, um, what's in everybody's prospectus and kids, and then the um, on the independent um, NEDs as well. So you add all that up, and that is a fair amount of work mm. that the asset managers need to do. Okay. The one thing that you always hear about platforms is this sort of warning about, you know, profitability, profitability, profitability. Um, to what extent are some of the changes uh, proposed as a result of this going to be earth-shattering from a sort of profitability perspective? Is that why the FCA is doing this slowly and steadily? Because they don't want to uh, upset the apple cart yeah. too much at a time when other sort of platform businesses than yourselves are in flux? Yeah. Well, the FCA in their final paper did make the comment that you know, basically um, platforms are not ov- overly profitable, so we're not profiteering mm. or anything like that. And Unlike I asset managers. Well, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> Great. You know, <laughs> you guys aren't making a lot of money. Well done. <laughs> um, you know, the things that the FCA is asking us to, to do, and, and specifically on the switching, if we can actually do it and do it right, mm. yes, there's a little bit of upfront cost to getting that set in place. But you know, in the long term, in the long run, it should actually make us all more efficient. Mm. So it should decrease the cost. Mm. Maybe I've just, you know, rose-cut glasses, but that's what I'm hoping. <laughs> mm. Tell me about orphan clients. 
that was something that came up in the paper, wasn't it? Yeah, I think that, that that's a really interesting one. And, and you know, it was made a quite a big deal of. May, other platforms probably do have a lot more orphan clients just to kind of give it your feel. You know, at the time we reported that we had 124 orphan clients. So in the scheme of things, that's not like thousands or, yeah, sure. or, or anything. I think where the FCA rightly, again, putting the consumer at the heart of all of this, wanted to make sure that those orphan clients were still receiving a service and were still able to engage in their portfolio. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, what the FCA is saying is, if they decide to not have an advisor or for whatever reason they don't have an advisor, it's still their money, it's still their portfolio, so they still mm. need to be able to engage with you to manage that in the way that they wish. Mm. On the flip side, platforms such as us, we have a process in place for orphan clients where we do actually suggest that they you know, refer to different websites and look for another advisor, because at the end of the day, these clients were advised clients, so they probably do have a financial plan. Mm. One thing the the, uh, the platform study didn't really bring up, um, particularly in the final report, was that the idea of vertical integration. They, the FCA were quite, they didn't really kind of come to any strong opinions on this, which we were a bit maybe a bit surprised about given their earlier sentiment around this. What was your reaction there? Were you? To, to be fair, because there had been so much talk about vertical integration, uh, we were expecting, and I was expecting, um, basically something on that. What the FCA did say in the paper was that they, they did take a look, but they didn't find anything that to suggest that there was any kind of, let's throw a bit of wrongdoing or anything that they needed to actually take a closer look at. Mm-hmm. So I don't think they ignored it. I think many said, oh, they, they didn't look at it. Mm-hmm. From, from the reading that I had, it was, yeah, we took a look and, you know, there's nothing to suggest at this time that we need to look closer. But do you think, like, looking more broadly, do you think this is it for vertical integration in terms of what the FCA's kind of investigations are? No, I, you know, and it, this is not it for vertical integration, it's not it for platforms. You know, this will be an ongoing, and the FCA has said this is an ongoing review, which it needs to be because, you know, platforms are how people invest. Mm. And I think what will be really interesting is that platforms have all been about people in accumulation. Now with Pensions Freedom, now with advisors looking after clients and their portfolios, you know, really (coughs) until they die and beyond, platforms will be actually how you get your retirement income. Platform will also be where um, those like you guys that, that are young, your inheritance may well sit on a platform. Mm. So this needs to be an ongoing review. I'm afraid to say I've already spent it. Um, <laughs> one question I had, I was intrigued by uh, comments that Ian Taylor made during your platform roundtable where he was talking about how you define a platform and how, you know, in the eyes <laughs> Everything of... Else. Everything else. <laughs> Everything, Everything else. else. We like that. Yes. We like that. He yeah. was making the same comments yesterday. Was, was yes, he? yeah. Yeah. Just for context, Jack, what happened yesterday? I was at a, a, a Next Wealth event, um, which Verona also attended and spoke at. We're all best mates, aren't we? Yeah, yes. Um, but I was intrigued to hear him talk about how, in his, you know, in his eyes, the p- platform world isn't sort of fintech, so to speak. It's a, you know, sort of a people business. What, to what extent do you think the FCA is agreeing with that interpretation here? Because it sounds like. You know, 7 am looking very far into the future. You're saying to us, you know, your inheritance may be on a platform. To me, that sounds like a very uh, tech wizardry-centric kind of solution and outcome. Um, and Ian Taylor's talking about, you know, people, the human side, making sure that Mrs. Miggins gets her, gets her cash, even if it's in an envelope. So um, to what extent is the regulator subscribing to that view, do you think? 
I, I think the regulator, you know, in a way, platforms are hard to define, and I think mm. that's why Ian's been saying, right, we'll put everything in the other in the other box. Mm. I think even the regulators found it tough to describe exactly what a platform is, and because there's so many variations, are platforms fintech? Some of the new players are. But from a 7IM point of view, where we see the fintech going, it is about the client engagement. Now, if we can use, you know, we have an app 7Imagine, we have different things. If we can use that, not just because we want to have a Wizzy app, but to get clients engaged with their portfolio, because at the end of the day, is their money, fantastic. That, though, has to complement what the advisor is doing. Mm. Okay, so we see it as both. As far as it being a people business, you know, if you're dealing with people and their money, it's always going to be a people business. Mm. And there wasn't really any mention, was there? Correct me if I'm wrong, of, of the sort of hornet's nest we were trying to kick a bit last year about you know who should actually pay for platforms. Should it be the <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. No, again, I mean, I think they they talked a bit about this in the interim paper when they on the non monetary benefits side of things when they said there might be things that. Uh, advisors use platforms for which are actually benefiting them rather than the client. So that brought up the whole question about who should be paying for the platform, the advisor or the client. I'm sure, Verona, you will say that this, well... At, at the end of the day, someone's got to pay because platforms are not charities. Yes. <laughs> so, and it, it always comes down to, you know, if I'm having a platform discussion with a firm and they want to pay, I'm like, that's fine. You know, let's have that discussion. But... You know, are you going to take that out of your fee and you're going to decrease or are you just going to add an additional fee on? Because the end result will be the same. The client will be paying for it. Mm. Actually, we've got the facilities and the functionality and the technology to basically do the deduction, do the calculation and deduct and pay the fees. Mm. How often are you having that conversation? You know what, it probably... Probably a year ago, it was probably more, a lot more, not so much now. And maybe I think because there was, you, you said you kicked a hornet's nest, and I think a lot mm. of firms thought, oh, oh, actually, we should look at this. Mm. And then once you look at it, you're just like, yeah. okay, yeah, there's other things <laughs> that maybe we should be looking at to benefit our clients. Yeah, that's very interesting. That's very interesting that it's decreased, perhaps, mm -hmm. as a result of the debate. Um, I'm just going to cover uh, cash on platforms. Mm -hmm. What was the outcome there? I mean, that, that came up in the paper, didn't it? Yeah, no, it did. And I think what was really interesting is the paper actually referenced the Retirement Outcomes Review. Yes. So I think... Joined the, up thinking. Yeah, it really joined up thinking, which was um, really good to see. Not them saying they don't have joined up thinking all the time. Um, but, you know, <laughs> so I think... strenuously. Yeah, I? yeah. I, I, I think what's happened is that, you know, the, there's a pendulum and, you know, there's been all this fear about don't go into risky things, don't, mm. you know take too much risk with your money, we push that in front of people and then some people are like, oh, I've just got it in cash and then the FSA is like, wait a minute, uh, being in cash is probably actually risky for your long-term investment because you're not getting the return yeah. that you need. So if you want to be in cash, make sure you've made a positive decision to be in cash and make sure that you're in there for the right reason. You're not just put it in there because you're risk adverse or you know, you've decided not to do anything. But how does that kind of fit in with what the FCA is also doing with things like MIFID, the MIFID 2 uh, 10% rule drop? Because surely these other things the FCA are doing are kind of encouraging investors to move out of their, their investments in a way. Yes, yeah. And I think that the key thing that when you look about, you know, even the 10% rule drop and how much you got in cash, if you're investing for the long term, and it's the term that you're investing for. If you're only investing for the short term and you're thinking, right, I've got to get my money out, 
that's a whole different discussion than if you're investing for the long term. If you are investing for, for retirement, that's the long term. You can have the market volatility because you actually know that you know, you'll achieve a higher return. You know, we have been doing a lot of work on this. Specifically, we have a retirement income services, a lot of people talking about those kind of services. And it is very much sitting on the different time horizons that you have for your money. And you know, if you're not going to touch your money for 25 years, then you probably don't need any cash there. If it's money that you need to touch pretty soon, you're going to need some cash there. Mm. Um, I have a question about the sort of joint up thinking, because it's interesting you talk about MIFID, the Retirement mm -hmm. um, Outcomes Review. Um, just how coherent is that broader framework? Are there, are there any sort of potentially unintended consequences of things working antagonistically within the individual components of what the FCA is doing in the retirement space generally, yes, uh, platforms yeah. included? Yeah, and this was one of the things I was really happy about when I looked at the paper, is that the FCA did note that they, because of MIFID II was coming in, mm. because remember when they actually were doing this research and writing this paper, the MIFID II um, ex post and ex ante disclosure hadn't come into force because that only came in really from, from January this year. So um, they didn't actually you know, say we're going to make any changes, they're going to wait and see. Mm how those um, MIFID II changes are, are felt by clients and, and the industry before making any other changes. And that is a challenge when there is so many different moving parts yes. to make sure that there isn't any other unintended consequences. And one of those uh, moving parts, is, you know, as you've said, is this focus on value for money in the asset management yes. space. Yes. I mean, um, we're here to talk about platforms, but run us through how big you think that's going to be because it's clearly significant. Oh yeah, no, I think this is significant. And it's one of those things that you know, a lot of fund managers will be saying, well, I'm doing it anyway, mm. but now it's all about making sure that it's documented. Yes. So, and, and you would hope that fund managers are doing it anyway, making sure their, their funds are value for money. But it's really saying, right, it needs to be documented, you need to benchmark it, and you need basically independent review of that. Mm. So go and get some independent non-execs to take a look. And this is going to come out of their accounts, their annual accounts, you think, fund managers? Yes, yeah. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> do you think, but surely do you think with this requirement, do you think, surely all, when fund, funds and fund managers look at their results, they're not going to suddenly mark their homework as bad and say, <laughs> you know, we don't think our fund is value for money. Surely they're going to all be kind of fairly positive. Is that not how you think it's going to play out? Well, uh, two things on that. That's the that's really the role of the independent Ned to, hmm. for want of a better word, keep everybody honest. Okay. okay? Hmm. Uh, and that's why that role has been put in place. And interesting, um, around that role, you know, you kind of worked at that company for the last three years. For want of a better word, they're not going to get people that have already gone native to, hmm. to go and mark the homework. So they are putting in place things to, to keep ev everybody honest around that. Hmm. So you think this will have a big effect on in fund managers in terms of what their strategies are? I mean, what do you think the effects? I, I think, be? firstly, the you know there's a lot of work that needs to be done because even if you are the perfect fund manager and you're doing all this, you now need to have it clearly documented, mm. um, and rightly so. Now, some may already have that, but you know, reading the rules, it's, it is about clearly documenting it, and all of that basically results in, in some more work. But again, it comes down to the customer outcomes and that's what the FCA is focused on. Yeah. Making sure you know we are thinking about the customer and they are getting value for money and it can be demonstrated, proved and ticked off by an independent person. Mm. Just finally, I mean, talking about the outcomes for customers, uh, my final question about the platform market study is, you know, who wins and loses from this? Clearly, uh, the customer is in line to win from this. Um, but yeah, are, are there any sort of, are there any 
losers there. I mean, you don't have to, <laughs> you don't have to name names, or anything, but I was just thinking, you know, they're businesses that perhaps they've been behind on this for a while that are going to suffer as, as a result if they're not. I haven't got their cards in order. We won't call them losers, but um, the challenge <laughs> for some businesses will be any investment that they need to make. Let's be honest, running a platform is not a cheap yeah. hobby. Um, <laughs> any investment that they need to make to make sure that they're complying with everything, whether that's investing in the re-registration process, looking at the exit fees, all of those kind of things, that requires additional money to, to invest in. So. Yeah, and I think I think we've already seen some firms change their habits before this paper came out. So I think, you know, for example, Interactive Investor, the second biggest D2C platform, they scrapped exit fees at the end of last year yeah. ahead of this paper from the FCA. Um, Phoenix, they scrapped exit fees also last year. So firms have kind of been acting before they're being told to, or even before the cons final consultation paper is released. So we have seen firms change, change what they're doing. Obviously, some of the firms, I think, are just kind of waiting for the consultation to come through. But... Um, certainly, I think exit fees are, you know, they're, eventually they're going to be a thing of the past. And that's mm -hmm. probably the most significant thing that comes out of this paper and could have quite a big effect in terms of consumer behaviour, even if only a small percentage of, of people are getting hit by these exit fees. Absolutely. Okie doke. Um, I'm afraid that's all that we've got time for today. Uh, thanks to you both for joining me. It's been a pleasure. Um, we are out of time, but suffice to say, if you do like what we do with our lovely little podcast, uh, please subscribe on iTunes and do, yes, do leave us a lovely review. I should say also that there is currently a survey live on the NMA Twitter. It's pinned to the top of our feed, uh, asking our listeners uh, what they want to hear more of or less of in our podcast episodes. So if you have any thoughts, criticism or ideas, please do fill that in. It only takes around 60 seconds or indeed send us an email at news at citywide.co.uk. Until next time, there will be a next time when we'll be looking at how to sell your advice business the right way, part two, uh, is thanks and goodbye. Thank <laughs> you.